Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Joy Stockbauer. She is the policy analyst for the Center of Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. And you may remember we had Joy on just probably a month or so, a couple months ago, when we were talking about her article on communism can teach us about rebuilding the culture of life, which was a great conversation. But today we're going to kind of talk about the post-Roe age and really how to have people discuss you know, this exception when it comes to rape and incest that, that we hear so often and people feel uncomfortable uh, talking about. So, Joy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you guys um, at the you know Family Research Council, I know put out a put out a paper on really guiding people so that they're not overwhelmed when the other side comes at them and starts saying we need an exception for rape and incest. And I think you know looking through it, it was very well done. It should really help people kind of get things settled in their mind and and kind of figure out how to approach this topic and. Um, Maybe you can talk a little bit about this, and then we can kind of go into the different sections uh, regarding how people can, again, get more comfortable with defending life without worrying about these exceptions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's human instinct to want to shy away from difficult conversations, especially with the ones that we love. You know, no one wants to get in a fight over the dinner table with someone that they really care about. Um, But I also think it's super important as Christians to be willing to engage on difficult topics, because if Christians aren't speaking up, then the only narratives that the world will have to go off of are narratives that are not driven from a biblical worldview. And so it's important for us to think ahead, you know, even if you don't think that you'll find yourself in this circumstance of having this specific conversation, I think it's great to be prepared in, in the event that that conversation ever does come up to know what you would say. Um, and to know how you can say it compassionately. Well, I mean, the point is it will come up because the other side really exploits this issue. And you'll see, you know, whether it's radio or TV ads with these very sad stories. And let's be honest, like rape is horrendous. I mean, incest, all these are terrible crimes against an individual. But they exploit it to the point where they really, they just use it as a wedge most of the time, as opposed to do they really care about this issue particularly? And so we need to be strong on it because eventually, if you're a pro-life advocate, you're going to encounter it. I absolutely agree. And I think it will only become more prevalent in a post-Roe America now that legislation um, pre-viability is actually able to pass. Now that the states are able to enact their own laws and legislators are having these conversations about what pro-life legislation needs to look like. So I think we're in a really unique point in time where we can have these conversations. Um, And so I I do think it is important to be prepared and important to know how to do so compassionately so that we actually draw people into the pro-life cause rather than turning them away um, or allowing them to believe that we are the hateful people that they make us out to be, because we know that that's not true. But, you know, the, the great challenge is convincing them that we really are as loving um, and respectful of human life as we claim to be. Because really the bottom line is, you know, either God creates life or he doesn't. And if he does, then who are we to take an innocent life uh, 
when we come up with our own exceptions, if, if, if he didn't want that life to be there, it wouldn't be there. So who do we to be God? And I think, you know, that's kind of has to be our foundation. If we truly understand that, that children are a gift from God, then we don't get to make exceptions about which children get to live and which children don't. You're absolutely right. You know, when we have a pro-life law that is protecting unborn children at a point in gestation, you know, maybe a heartbeat law or, um, you know, a law at fetal pain at 15 weeks, when we have those laws and then we add exceptions in cases of rape or incest, we're categorizing human beings by arbitrary factors that are completely beyond their control. Um, so, you know, that that's just a tool of eugenics. It's a tool of the abortion industry to... Um, continue to push the narrative that abortion is necessary. Um, so w- when we create those exceptions and we agree to them because we're scared of a public relations nightmare or because we don't want to engage in difficult conversations, we categorize an entire group of people as being unworthy of life or less worthy than other people are. And you can't do that based on someone's circumstances of conception. You know, they still have the inherent right to life. And we still need to encourage pro-lifers to speak up about respecting their human dignity. Well, I mean, it falls under the, you know, the two wrongs don't make right. I mean, I think and you guys do a really good job in this in this paper, really, of, of defining terms in terms of rape, statutory rape, child sex abuse and incest. Uh, but you also start off with, you know, just kind of tips regarding being prayerful when you go into this, listening, being compassionate and not falling into the false compassion that people want you to, where you're taking sides and determining, you know, whether a child lives based on the mom's well-being when it's, you know, a pretty much proven fact that a abortion from a mom who's had this is just two crimes against the mom, not just the one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's so important when you are engaging in a difficult conversation to enter it prayerfully um, and to ask the Holy Spirit to guide your words, because on our own power, you know, we are far more likely to offend others, to misspeak or to allow our own emotions to take over. Um, but when, you know, you're engaging in a difficult conversation and you pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then the offense that other people might feel doesn't need to upset us, because scripture tells us that you know, we will be enemies in the world and that, you know, the world, the world will not want to receive the truth that we have to share. And so, it, it, you know, you can be more comfortable engaging in a conversation, knowing that someone might walk away offended, you know, that's obviously not your hope, but if they do walk away offended, then you can know that you have the peace that you've done this prayerfully and that, you know, God's truth is going to offend people who are unwilling to receive it as the truth. Well, and the fact that they can't receive it at that particular time because of whatever, you know, is in their mind and what they're thinking doesn't mean they wouldn't be able to, you know, embrace it later on. So maybe this is you know, planting seeds, you know, who knows where we are, whether we're planters or waterers or whatever it may be. Um, we, we all we can do is share the truth with with love and, and let the individual decide whether they're going to embrace it today or tomorrow, maybe never. But if they never hear it from us, then shame on us, right? Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that we, we write about in this resource and something that we frequently encourage pro-lifers is that, you know, you never know someone's personal um, background. We never know what they've been through. I mean, one in five women have been the victim of an attempted or a completed sexual assault. And so, 
you know, we just have to be careful when, when engaging with others to be respectful of whatever they might have suffered in the past and whatever they might have done as a consequence of trauma that they've suffered. Um, so I think that that compassion component um, does need to temper our truth and does need to temper our, our attitude and our body language and be woven throughout that conversation. I think another good uh, point that this that this paper does is, you know, telling people when to pivot to go start talking about the unborn child or the child, because, you know, we can get so caught up in, in the mom that we almost forget about the child. And that's really the whole point. We want to remind the individual, really a mom or, you know, male or female, whoever, you know, defends these exceptions, uh, they really need to focus on this innocent child and, and how, you know, why should we have a crime of murder against this child who wasn't involved in anything that happened prior to this? Yeah, you know, when a woman suffers sexual assault or rape, um, and especially becomes pregnant in those situations, I think a, a woman is looking for justice. And so the abortion industry can so easily compel women to believe that justice in their circumstances would be having an abortion. And in fact, that having an abortion is the only just option. Um, when in reality, I think it's super important to speak the truth to women in this circumstance and to anyone who cares about women in this circumstance about the fact that the unborn child conceived by rape or incest had nothing to do with the circumstances of their conception. That child is in no way to blame for the acts of their father. And so to take out, you know, to, to believe that an abortion is the right option in this circumstance is to say that that child deserves to die for something that they didn't do, for something that someone else did. And so it misplaces justice. And so I think it's super important to highlight in this conversation that justice in cases of rape or incest is absolutely necessary. And pro-lifers need to be the first people to say that, to advocate for justice. But justice looks like punishing the wrongdoer, not punishing an innocent party. Yeah, and I think the other, the other thing I really like about this paper, and maybe before we go too far, how can people find what we're talking about, uh, you know, on your website so that, you know, I'm just not talking about it. They're like, well, thanks. I have no idea where to find it. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to frc.org slash difficult conversations, you'll find our whole series of resources. We have a couple different resources that um, share information about how to engage in different difficult conversations. Um, so one of these is our rape and incest exceptions uh, resource. So you'll find that at frc.org slash difficult conversations. Well, what I was going to say is what I really also like about it is you have testimonies in there, right? Women who were conceived in, in a horrible crime. And they go on to talk about, you know, being in a loving family and a great marriage. I mean, all the things that would have never happened, kids that, that were born that would have never been born, had their moms chosen the option to terminate their life before they were ever, ever able to come into this world. Yes, this is such an important component for pro-lifers to consider, um, especially as legislators continue to engage on whether or not we need a rape and incest exception, is to acknowledge that people conceived in rape and incest walk among us every day. You know, there, there are likely far more people conceived in rape and incest than we even know, because many moms who do carry the term after being raped um, will place the child for adoption. And so in those cases, you know, the adoptee may grow up to never know the circumstances of their conception. Um, so whenever we have this conversation, we have to keep in mind that there are 
adults and children and babies out there who are alike in with us in human dignity and who deserve to have their rights respected. And so when we have this conversation, we're not talking in the abstract about the idea of a child conceived in rape. There really are people conceived in rape who are willing to speak up about the difficult circumstances that their mother suffered, but who are so ready to share how grateful they are for life, for the life that they have, for the children that they've been able to go on and have, and even for the relationships that they have with their biological mother. Um, so I think it's really important in this conversation to elevate their voices and their stories, you know, because the other side is so good at finding um, compelling stories to share and women who we want to empathize with. But, you know, in these cases, I think it's super important to elevate the, the people who would have been aborted um, if the abortion industry had their way. Yeah, and in the end, right, the abortion industry really only really only cares about the money. They They have this pretend or false compassion for the mom but if there wasn't money involved they wouldn't even be they wouldn't even be in, in this uh, in this arena so we need to remind ourselves that it's really dirty money that 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 really fuels the other side when it comes to these abortions because they don't care about the child you know and, and they call it family planning and different things so no matter how they classify it really it's it's all about the killing of the unborn, receiving money and not helping the mom with the scars that unfortunately they have after they go through these abortions, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, a Planned Parenthood is not going to reach out to a woman a week later, a month later, even a year later to find out how she's doing after her abortion. A Planned Parenthood only cares about getting her in the door and, you know, having her pay for the procedure and then sending her away. Whereas, you know, on the on the side of human dignity and the culture of life, pregnancy resource centers are equipped to help women in all different circumstances. You know, they have resources that will help them heal from trauma, heal from pain that they've suffered in their past, rather than compounding it by forcing an additional trauma on their body and on their mind. Um, you know, we know that abortion is traumatizing for women and that many women suffer the effects um, similar to PTSD of uh, post-abortion, you know, struggles that that can look like depression, anxiety, you know, increased suicidal thoughts. And so we don't want women going through this alone, um, especially if they had their abortion after already suffering the trauma of being raped. We need to, to help these women and offer them life-affirming resources rather than telling them, you know, well, we've given you your abortion, so this is all we have to offer you and you just need to be healed now. Well, and there are some people who, you know, are really focused on, you know, the exceptions and, you know, they they would prefer not to have abortions. But the large majority of the, the pro-death world, if all you have to do is look and see how they're acting, right, they've, they've turned a blind eye to the attacks on the pregnancy resource centers. As a matter of fact, you have many in the political sphere demonizing these pregnancy resource centers, right? We're we we embrace and fantasize for those children that survive an abortion that are born. I mean, you just look at the, really how far these people go. They really don't care about the exceptions. It's all about let's kill this child and move on to the next one. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right about that, that, you know, there's no real concern for women. And so, you know, we don't really call them pro-choice anymore when, when we're talking about the other side. We call them pro-abortion because that's what they are. 
Um, they, they want to shut down pregnancy resource centers that offer real alternatives and real options to women who are facing an unexpected pregnancy. Um, and even when children survive abortions, they don't think that they should be given life-saving care. You know, if, if they did support that, then every Democrat would have voted in favor of the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. But this was not the case. You know, that vote went in the House along party lines. And so, you know, it's very clear to see the bloodlust on the other side. And, you know, it's clear to see that that's funded by the abortion industry. And, you know, when they talk about things like reproductive justice, this is just a code word for, you know, lining their own pockets with the trauma and the pain of, you know, generations of women and their children who they'll never get to meet. Well, now we have big business, right? We have the FDA relaxing uh, the regulations when it comes to chemical abortion pills. And they're all, you know, and Walgreens and CVS are tripping over each other to see who can be, you know, the first pharmacy to provide these things to women. Who's going to monitor this stuff, right? And there is really no care about the women. This is all about here, pay me the money for the pills, get rid of your problem. And you know what? I'll see you next time. Yes. I mean, it is so upsetting to see um, large corporations, these big business pharmacies that are so eager to participate in the abortion industry and to really become abortion facilities themselves. You know, really, there's there's little distinguishing between a Planned Parenthood and a Walgreens if Walgreens is handing out misopristone and you know, allowing women to receive uh, those drugs in on their premises. So, you know, it's incredibly dangerous, this push to normalize uh, chemical abortion to the point that you can just walk down the street to your local pharmacy and obtain everything that you need for a chemical abortion. Um, and now, you know, because of the relaxing of the REMS, which are these um, protective uh, precautions that were previously in place that have been loosened over the years um, due to the Biden administration, women can actually obtain prescriptions through telehealth. They don't even need to go see a doctor in person anymore. Um, and so a woman really can just be very casual about something as, as life-changing and traumatizing as a chemical abortion. Um, and, you know, chemical abortions are four times as, as dangerous and have four times as many complications as just a standard surgical abortion. So, you know, we can expect that over the coming years, as this continues to become normalized, if, if legislation isn't actively stopping it um, and putting an end to this trade, we're going to have more and more women walking away traumatized and, you know, physically damaged from what they've suffered at the hands of the abortion industry and normalizing the push for chemical abortion. Well, so, I mean, when you look at the post-Roe age, right, it's great that Roe versus Wade was overturned. And, you know, we have states, you know, doing some states doing the right thing. But in reality, the fight continues. I, I got a, I was talking to my wife who was talking to one of her family members in Arkansas. And in Little Rock, they're, they're providing buses for women to take them across state lines so they can go ahead and get their abortion. So they're actually promoting bus trips for women to kill their babies. Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely insane the lengths that they'll go to. In 2022, we saw Gavin Newsom, the governor out in California, um, putting billboards in pro-life states to invite women in pro-life states to go have their abortion in California. So really, for, for these states that uh, are so bloodthirsty and, you know, so in favor of abortion through all nine months, they're having a field day with pro-life laws because they just see it as an opportunity to 
further um, the profits that the abortion industry can gain in their state. Um, you know, it's a form of what they're calling abortion tourism, inviting women to, you know, just get on a plane, take a trip to California and have your abortion there um, with with little care. You know, if, if your abortionist is in California and you live in a pro-life state across the country, no one's following up with you or checking in on you to see how you're doing after your abortion. You know, and in some cases, they're even encouraging women to lie to, to doctors or hospitals and tell them that they're having a miscarriage rather than be honest about the fact that they had an abortion if they go to the hospital. So, you know, there's a lot of misinformation and, and dangerous advice that women are being told by the abortion industry um, with little care for their real safety or the psychological impact that they'll suffer. Well, I think it's just a reminder that people can't get complacent. You know, I mean, uh, a Supreme Court decision or any legal decision. Hey, those are great. But, you know, we heard, you know, when Texas passed their law, right, all these women, they're going to be dying. All these bad things are going to be happening. Well, we're over a year away. How many children's lives have been saved? And we haven't heard one negative story about a woman who was affected negatively because she wasn't able to kill her baby like they were proclaiming. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite example is even on websites like Shout Your Abortion, where the abortion industry and the pro-abortion lobbying side invites women to share their stories of abortion in order to try to normalize it. We always see women coming forward, you know, using that as a platform to say how horrible their experience with abortion was and how painful it was and how traumatizing it was and how, you know, they've suffered the consequences and they suffer from the effects. Um, and, you know, we've seen many abortionists come to the pro-life side. Many former abortionists are now pro-life advocates who say, you know, what, what I experienced in that industry and what I did, I found redemption through God. I found, you know, redemption and hope for my future through advocating to protect unborn life. So, you know, but we don't see the reverse. We don't see pro-lifers going to their side and really excited to go perform abortion. So I think that that says everything that we need to know about, you know, the, the psychological ramifications of being a part of the abortion industry and being a part of the killing of unborn children. Well, I think that's the beautiful part of it, right? No matter if you've had abortions or you committed abortions, right? There is forgiveness waiting for you, right? Just, you know, seek redemption, seek, you know, uh, seek forgiveness for, for the things you did. The pro-life movement would welcome you with open arms, right? There is no hostility because of what you did. They would celebrate your conversion of heart. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I think that that is something that is so important every time we have this conversation to share is that if there are any women out there listening who have had abortions, there is hope for your future. There's hope for your present. There's forgiveness. Um, some great organizations that come to mind that help with post-abortion healing are Support After Abortion, as well as Project Rachel and Rachel's Vineyard. Um, you know, there are support groups out there. There are communities out there of women, men, um, the siblings of children who have been aborted, who are out there to, you know, heal from this pain and heal from this trauma together um, and to glorify God in doing it. So I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of being in the pro-life movement is getting to hear uh, the many stories of why people are pro-life advocates. And for so many, it's because abortion has touched their lives personally. Well, it just goes to the importance of, of telling people the truth, right? I mean, in the end, God is love, and Jesus tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life. So truth equals love. And when we share the truth with people in a compassionate way, 
then they get an opportunity to see that there, there's not animosity here. There's just wanting to share the truth so that you can have a conversion of heart and not damage yourself or other people buying into the lies that the evil one continues to, to spread and foster, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, I think it, it's so important to remember that our enemy, we don't battle against flesh and blood, and our enemy is not uh, Democrats, our enemy is not abortionists or women who have had abortions. Our enemy is Satan, who is putting those lies in the mouths of the abortion industry in the first place. He's the father of lies. And so I think when we're able to communicate that, um, especially within the pro-life movement, you know, there are even Christians out there who are afraid to claim the title of pro-life because they um, have been sucked into the, the gospel of the culture and the gospel of social justice. And they've been told that reproductive justice uh, is part of this. But, you know, I think it's so important to just continue advocating that, you know, God cares about every child in the womb, uh, but he also cares about the mothers and his forgiveness is for everyone. Well, you know, it just reminds us that we're not only worried about our own salvation, but for the salvation of all. And I think you, you put it right, right? These aren't our enemies. These are souls that need to be saved. And if we look at them as our enemies, then we are, we're, we're falling into a trap ourselves. We got, we, we need to have that compassion. And I think the papers that you guys continue to put out really display that while educating people at the same time. So I would encourage people to follow it. We're down to, you know, we have about a minute or so to go, but, you know, any, any final comments to kind of remind people of resources that are out there and that, you know, they got to, they have to remain in this fight. Absolutely. You know, if you want to see any of FRC's resources, you can go to frc.org slash life to find all of our resources. Um, but I also think it's so important to just be engaging in local advocacy. You know, if you can't make it out to the D.C. March for Life, look up and see if your state is having their own March for Life. Um, and if they're not, see if you can help with organizing one um, or even on a local basis. So, you know, I think it's just important for us not to get overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, the, the legislative landscape looks different after Roe. I think we just need to be excited with that and keep the momentum going, especially in states where life is not yet protected. Well, and the reminder is the, the greater our faith, the more courage we're going to have. We won't we won't worry about what other people think, say or do because we know we have the truth behind us. So as we grow in our faith, hopefully we grow in our courage to be able to go out into the world, defend life, protect the innocent, and help those who have been misguided, help them heal. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.